Hey, as we continue, Mark, this morning, uh, we are going to be taking a look in a mirror this morning. As you know, that's what the Word of God does. It, it's like looking into a mirror, you know, and, and, and just like when you look into a mirror, you, you have to face reality with what you see. And, and it may not always be pretty. It may not always be what you like. Sometimes it may be better. You, you think it's better than it actually is. And that's what the Word of God is like. When we come to the Word of God, it's like taking a look in a mirror. And we see who God is, and then we see who we are in comparison to who God is. And then we're faced with a choice. You know, we, we can either be receptive to God's word and to, to God's leading, and, and if we are, then, then we continue to, to let our blemishes and our impurities and, and our weaknesses and, and, and puniness just, we, we see it and we, we acknowledge it, but then we take it to the cross where all of those things were paid for by the Son, Christ, and we grow, and we are shaped. And, and then we could be on the other end of things where we, we go to the mirror and we're like that, that guy in the gym, you know, who, who works out in front of the mirror. He, he only comes in for like a few minutes and, and he picks up the heaviest weights around, you know, and he just starts throwing them around and grunting, making all kinds of noises, and, and he's drawing attention. And, man, people are impressed because he's certainly making a lot of loud noise. And, man, he's throwing some hundreds around, you know. And they look at him and, and they're going, man, this guy's serious. And he's looking at himself in the mirror and he's like... You, know, you ever seen that guy? I mean, no shame. Uh, don't tell me if some of you I got right, but, right? And uh, they, they look in the mirror and, you know, this guy usually, usually the way this works is the guy that comes in and do this, he's either like a chihuahua who thinks he's a pit bull, right? Or he's like the fat cat who thinks he's like a lean, mean panther, right? That's usually just how it happens. And they look in the mirror and they refuse to face reality. And they look at in whatever side they're on, the reality is they're just delusional because they refuse to see how they really are and deal with and accept how they really are and go from there. And we have a choice each time we open up the word of God is, is we see God for who he really is. And as we see God for who he really is, it, it sheds a light on who we really are in light of God. And then we have a choice as to how we respond. So do we, do we respond and, and lay all that before the cross or do we walk away and say, that was good, good work, Ham. Come back tomorrow, right? And so let's pray this morning and ask God to help us be people who are receptive to the word of God. So Father, we ask that you would uh, shape, shape us this morning, that uh, anything that, that's gonna prevent us from hearing from you this morning, that you would, you would bring that up to the surface, that we would be made aware of it. There's anything we're harboring in our heart this morning that's going to block us from hearing you, God, we uh, pray that you bring that to the surface and that we might be able to quietly confess that to you so that we might be open. God, if there's blinders on our eyes, things that are going to make us delusional, I pray, God, that you would break those down this morning. And I pray that you would let your spirit speak to each of us through your word, that you would help us to, to grow in our understanding of it and then how we apply it. Because, God, each of us has different needs this morning, and you know each one of them. Each of us have had different weeks, and you know intimately everyone's week. And so, God, you are, you are here this morning among your people, and you know our needs. And so we ask that your spirit would move and minister. I pray, God, that you would speak through me this morning to be clear and accurate to this text. And so, Father, we pray that you'd have your way, and that Lord Jesus Christ would be magnified. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. 
So we're going to continue in Mark. If you uh, have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4. If you need a Bible, there should be a few on the rows in front of you, and you can grab those. And if you're grabbing one of those, it should be around page 836, somewhere around there. Mark chapter 4. If you're turning in your own Bible, then look for those red letters. Kind of open up towards the back, and you're looking for some red letters. If you find a section where there's mostly red letters, you're either in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, probably. And then just kind of start turning back, and it goes in that order. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. Or just look at your table of contents. No shame in that. That's why they put it in there. Every now and then, your pastor has to go to the table of contents to find some certain Old Testament books. Okay? No shame in that. That's why they put it in there. I mean, Mark chapter 4. And uh, where we're picking up uh, is that Jesus and his, his disciples, his, this crowd that's been with them, they've had a full day. They've had a full day where Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing the sick, and uh, he's been casting out demons. And, and this day took place by the, the Sea of Galilee on, on a lake. And uh, the crowds were so big that Jesus had actually had to get inside a boat, push off from shore a little bit so that he could separate himself from the crowds because likely, as has been the case, as we've seen with Jesus, these crowds, they would try to push in and try to get to Jesus because, man, there are people being healed if they could just touch this man. And so in order to separate himself so that he could could teach and speak, he got in a boat. And so it separated him, gave him room, but also would have created a natural amplification system as his voice would bounce off the, the water and then project to, to the crowd. And so we pick up toward the end of the day in, in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 35, and we're going through 41. And I've got this on the screen as well. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. So on that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So after leaving the crowd, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. Now a great windstorm developed, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was nearly swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? So he got up and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Be quiet, calm down. Then the wind stopped, and it was dead calm. And he said to them, why are you cowardly? Do you still not have faith? They were overwhelmed by fear and said to one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. And so we've got this this event here where it's at the end of a day and and, and Jesus is saying, okay, let's, let's send these guys home. And he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Right? That's, that's where our story picks up in, in verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Now, don't read past that too fast because that's going to come right back around toward the end. Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And so he already being in the boat. They, they go ahead and they all climb in the boat and they get themselves uh, moving that way. Now, they're on the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee is is a bit of a unique lake in in that it's surrounded by mountains on three sides or hills on three sides. The only side of the sea that's not surrounded by mountains is the south side. And that's where the River Jordan starts and then runs down uh, to the Dead Sea. So it's got these these hills and these mountains surrounding it. And so it kind of creates a natural little wind tunnel. And, and, And it's not uncommon on this sea that a storm could all of a sudden just come over the mountains and swoop down into that little, that little lake area there and really start to turn the sea up and really start to churn it. I mean, it was, it was well known that this is possible and this is what happens. And so as they're, they're going across the sea and they're going across the lake, they encounter one of these storms that, that just takes them by surprise. Now, look at the, uh, the, the text in verse 36. 
So after leaving the crowd, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and the other boats were with him. Verse 37, now the great windstorm developed, and the waves were breaking into the boat. I mean, this, these waves are so big that they're coming up over the boat. Now, it would have had to have been a sizable boat. You think about how many people Jesus had with him. He had at least 12 close people with him, his disciples and himself. And they were going to, at least, at least they would be in, in one boat. That's a pretty sizable boat for them to be in. And, and these waves are so big and, and the storm is so violent that it's, the waves are just crashing over the boat. And it says, so that the boat was nearly swamped. These guys are terrified. I mean, the, some of these guys, Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, these guys are fishermen. Four of these guys, at least, are experienced fishermen on this sea. They would have been familiar with storms. And so as the text kind of describes the, the, the nature of the storm, how violent it was, and, and later it starts talking about their fear, this had to be a pretty big storm for these guys to get afraid, for these guys to start despairing of life, because these are guys that had been through these before. It was not their first storm on the Sea of Galilee. But here they were, and they, they, were, they were afraid. And then we've got a contrast here. So you've got the disciples, they're afraid, they're, the boat's about to sink, but then in verse 38, it kind of pans the, the camera over to Jesus. And there he was, in the stern of the boat, kind of a protected area, on a cushion, sleeping. He's sleeping. And you know, it, it kind of gives us a picture of Jesus' faith. And, and it reminded me as I was, I was reading it of Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, which says this, I will lie down and sleep peacefully for you, Lord, make me safe and secure. I will lie down and sleep peacefully because you, Lord, make me safe and secure. Jesus' sleeping is a sign of his trust. His trust in God, God the Father. He's not concerned about the storm. I mean, it, it does seem a little weird to me that Jesus wasn't woken up by the storm. You know, if, 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 you know, you ever taken NyQuil? like the old NyQuil, before they changed the ingredients. Yeah, okay, it, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, if they had something like that in that day, that, that Jesus was on that? I'm, I mean, he wasn't, you know, that's not sacrilegious. He wasn't taking nasal decongestion or anything like that. But, you know, I mean, how do you sleep through a storm like that? In a boat, nonetheless, that's rocking. Trust in God. How do you sleep through storms when they come, if you can? I'd be willing to bet those of you that can sleep through those storms that verse might be ringing true of you. I lay down and I sleep peacefully because you, O oh Lord, protect me. In fact, my, my youngest daughter, uh, she's three. She's developed a fear of thunder. Don't know where, don't know how. Just all of a sudden it popped up this season and she'll just scream and cry and, and my wife has been working really well with her on that verse. You know, we say things to our kids like, hey, when, when you, get, you get scared, you know, we'll come. You know, we'll come if you need us, absolutely. And if, if we need to come get you, we're gonna come get you, so don't worry. But we also try to give them things that they can do, you know, besides mommy, daddy, you know, because ultimately, one, our hope is that we can stay in bed and sleep. But then two, we also want to teach them how to deal with scary situations. And so my wife has been teaching her this verse and, you know, she'll say to her, hey, uh, when the storms come, if you hear thunder, just say this verse. And, and, and she does, and she can. And, and if you don't think three-year-olds can memorize verses, I gotta tell you, I had a one-and-a-half-year-old memorizing verses. It is possible. So, so put those verses in those little sponge minds of your kids and teach them to your kids because they will, they will remember them if you just do it repetitively with it. Do it, uh, just side note, do it with rhythm. 
you know? Uh, just make something up and snap. I mean, one of the ways I, I, I've done this before with Karis, before, uh, before she, uh, you know, was getting a little older, I would put it to rhythm. Like um, Romans 5 eight, for God demonstrates his own love for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Something like, it, I'd go faster than that, you know? But, you know, pick something that sticks in their mind because the power of music, the power of rhythm, I mean, look at these kids up here. They knew those songs. And if you have kids, I bet you not one of you parents have not had one of those songs stuck in your head this week, right? How many of you have gone to bed going, oh, 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 me every night, every night. And, and I've even caught myself going, agency, D3, I mean, because songs stick in your head, right? So give your kids that opportunity to absorb that because they're going to absorb something. Anyway, so Psalm 4.8, Jesus is trust. Jesus' trust is evident here as he lies and he sleeps. But Jesus is not going to get to sleep very long because the, in verse 39, uh, at the end of verse 38, uh, they said, but he was in the stern sleeping. They woke him and said to him, and there's a little bit of a tone here. Again, some of you guys really know about the tone. You know, it's not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it. There's a little bit of a tone here in the way these questions are asked. Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? I mean, that's, that's a bit of an accusation there. And, and they call him teacher, and this is, this is probably not a moment where the disciples are expressing faith and calling Jesus teacher. Hey, rabbi. No, they're just, he's a teacher. There's no, there's no faith behind that, that statement. Hey, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? Hey, Jesus, do, do you not care that the waves are, are, are coming over the, the boat and, and we're about to sink? Do you have a death wish, Jesus? You know, we might, we might kind of expect Jesus to, uh, to wake up and kind of, what, what? You're looking around, you know, kind of getting the surroundings around him. No, not the case. Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? You might, you might expect Jesus to say, what are you talking about? Or yes, of course I care. No, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he gets up, verse 39, and he goes and he rebukes the wind and the sea. Now, that, that word rebukes, it's, it's a command, much like you would have a commanding officer in the military who oversees troops, soldiers, issues a command, right? And, and when your commanding officer issues a command, you follow, you, you, you go to it. And that's that word rebukes. He issues an order. He issues a command. But he, he issues a command to the wind and the sea, not his disciples, to the wind and the sea. I mean, so, so here we've got Jesus, who Colossians, the book of Colossians, one of Paul's letters, tells us that Jesus is the very one who created all things. You know, in, in, in Genesis, we just know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. But in Colossians, we find out that it was actually God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, through whom creation was brought about. And so here you have the very one who created the sea and who created the wind walks to the edge of the boat, looks around, looks at the, the raging sea which he created, feels the, the wind that, that's blowing on him and whipping his hair that his creating hands brought forth. And he rebukes them and he commands them, be still, calm down. He speaks to them like a kid. Like you, you, you would talk to your kids, right? That, that, that be still, calm down. The second part of it, calm down, actually is also used in other places to talk about muzzling an animal. So Jesus is saying, be still and put a muzzle on. 
Stop yakking. Stop talking. I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've thought about investing in a couple of muzzles every now and then, right? <laughs> Duct tape, muzzles, I don't know, right? Put a muzzle on, is what he says. Be still and put a muzzle on. Stop. Be at peace. And, and there's a great picture here because here you've got this raging storm and this whipping wind and you've got the disciples who are in turmoil. So you've got the turmoil on the sea and you've got the disciples in turmoil. They're terrified. And then you've got Jesus sleeping, trusting, and then going in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the storm. Be still. Put a muzzle on. And what's the response? Just like when a commanding officer issues you an order, you respond. He rebuked it. Be quiet, calm down, and then the wind stopped. And now, it wasn't just that the waves settled down and they, they became a little more bearable. No, it was dead calm. I mean, you go from being on sea in like a hurricane type of situation to peace. All you hear is the sound of birds chirping as you throw your fishing pole into the water trying to reach that bass, right? Just still, peace, dead calm. Don't miss that because the very creator speaks to his creation, issues authority, demonstrates his authority, and it responds. What would you do if you were in that situation? What would you do if you were one of the disciples on the boats and, and you're, just, you're just, you're afraid? I mean, as he's walking to the edge of the boat, you're going, what, what is he going to do? And, and, you know, in that moment, you've already kind of been fighting it and you've, you've got the water up to your, your calves and maybe, maybe up to your knees now and, and you're, you're starting to say your goodbyes and you're starting to tell your wife goodbye who you left at home and maybe your kids because you're not going to see them again. And you're really just thinking, this is the way we're going to go? I mean, we've been following this guy around and we've seen him do all these great things. I mean, this is our king. We thought this is the guy that's going to come. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. This is the one that God has promised was coming, but they only had a shallow view of who Jesus was. They thought he was a king and they were right, but they only thought about him as a physical king. They, they were only thinking about a physical kingdom. He's got to overthrow the current, the current government that's over us. And if he dies, then our hopes are gone. If we die, then we've wasted our life. What a way to go. Would that be you? I mean, it'd probably be me. It'd probably be me. I mean, because let's face it, I'm on a boat. Some of you who've been on boats in, in rough weather, that can be a scary thing especially if your boat can't stand it and, and, and the waves are coming over. I mean, so we, we might, we might be, be real quick to go and say, these disciples had every right to be fearful. They had every right to be scared. But they didn't. Because you remember how our story started out? It was the end of the day and Jesus said to his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go to the other side of the lake. Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a plan to get to the other side of the lake. Now, if God has a plan to get to the other side of a lake, which he himself created, do you think he's going to get to the other side of that lake? He's going to make it to the other side of that lake. If God has a plan, do you think God's going to accomplish that plan and see it through? Yeah. God's going to accomplish that plan and see it through. And no one of his creations, whether that's wind and waves or whether that's you and me 
or any other person. Nobody is going to throw God off track. Nobody is going to keep God from fulfilling his plans. And so when Jesus, this man that, that these disciples had followed and seen cast out demons, heal sick people, take away fever, make people who have never walked walk, when he says, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, they should have trusted that. They should have trusted the fact that this God, this man, this Jesus, who they were still trying to shape and formulate their understanding of who he really was, but they'd seen things happen that only God can do. They should have thought, he said we're going to get to the other side of the lake. We've seen him do much more than this. But fear paralyzed them. Fear controlled them. And that happens, right? It kind of reminds me of, of again, my, my girls, and, 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 you know, it's summertime, and so it's swimming season. And, um, you know, we're trying to teach them how to swim. And, and I'm a swimmer. I've been a swimmer my whole life, right? My, I'm, I'm one of those water babies, right, where, where I was three months old and my mom had me in the pool and they were teaching me how to swim and she was taking me underwater. I mean, I'm one of those, right? I, I took my five-year-old when she was three months old to the bottom of the pool. I did the whole, right? And she was, she's fine, right? She's not traumatized, I, you know? I, I'm one of those guys. I, I swam competitively, and, and then I lifeguarded for several years. And then I, I, I was a night manager of an indoor Olympic-sized pool for a school district. I am very comfortable around water. Very comfortable. I can handle myself. I can handle other people in the water. I've even shown off for my girls. You know, I've shown them how I can swim. I'm not like talking about just, hey, look, Penny can stay above water. I mean, I've shown them what I can do. They've seen what I can do. But do you know that when I hold my girls in the pool, particularly right now my three-year-old, for some reason she's got this fear, right? She's got this fear, and what she does with her fear is she just wraps herself around me tight, tight, tight. Like I've never felt her, you know, wrap her arms that tight around me. And, and I've got my, my, my hand on her back, and I've got my hand on her stomach, and I'll, and I'll say to her right there in her ear, real nice and calm, do you feel my hand on your back? And she'll say, yes. And I'll say, do you feel my hand on your stomach? Yes. And then I'll say, Daddy's got you. As long as you can feel those, you don't have to worry. What does she do? Just for a moment. So I, I'll, after I say that, I'll say, okay, so go ahead and let go of my neck. <laughs> and she, for a moment, she does, and boom, then she grabs it right back again. Her fear drives her. She's paralyzed by her fear right now. Even though she's seen what I can do, even though I've assured her that I'm right here with her, I'm in her very presence, I mean... Come on, if she goes on the water, I, I'm right there, right? I'm, I'm trying to get this through her, and she's not getting it. Now, I know, she's three years old. My five-year-old doesn't get it either, right? I mean, try to get my five-year-old to do something, and I'll say, man, I can be to you in like one second. Mm -mm. Fear does that to us, doesn't it? It paralyzes us. All of a sudden, everything we know to be true, everything that we could say, yes, I know God is real. Yes, I know God is able. Yes, I know he has provided here in the past. And yes, I've, in the disciples' case, I've seen him heal the sick. I've seen him raise people who have never walked before. I've seen him take a demon and bring it out of a person. Yes, I've seen all that. But all of a sudden, my circumstances are too big and I can't see any of that. All I see is my fear blinding me and I'm paralyzed. We do that. Fear paralyzes us. The disciples are paralyzed. They try everything they can. They use all their skills, all their abilities, all their own power to try to get them out of this situation. 
And, and do you, did you pick up on when they go to Jesus? I mean, it, it, they'd already been trying and the boat was already being swamped. And then they go to him in a moment of desperation. Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? They'd done everything they can. But fear paralyzed them. So Jesus gets up, he rebukes the waves. They, they calm and respond and they're dead calm. And then there's this moment in uh, verse 40. I mean, I can, I can just picture it. I mean, can't you? He's standing at the boat and he's just calmed the waves, calmed the seas of the wind and now, now it's dead calm. And can you imagine being one of those disciples? Now you're going, wow, right? And he turns around to them and he's got some pretty strong words for them. Verse 40, why are you cowardly? Your translation might say, why are you afraid? Why are you timid? Why are you cowardly? Do you still not have faith? I mean, Jesus is now facing guys who have watched him do so much, do things that no other person can do, and he looks at them, and he asks them, this is the mirror, by the way. This is the moment where we're all looking to a mirror, and he says, why are you afraid? Why are you cowardly? Why are you timid? Do you still not have faith? It doesn't need an answer. The answer's clear, right? Jesus wasn't looking for an answer. He's taken this moment where his disciples are going through this turbulent time, this storm, and now he's gonna take them deeper, but it's gonna be with a rebuke. And sometimes that's how we grow, right? We like to think of Jesus as warm and fuzzy and, you know, I'm gonna grow with me and my Jesus, you know, and, and, you know, Jesus isn't always warm and fuzzy and God doesn't always deal with us in the ways that we like that make us feel good. And, you know, sometimes he's gentle. Sometimes he speaks to us like he did Elijah through the whisper. But you know what? Sometimes God just rebukes us and it pierces us like what Jesus is doing right now. Why are you afraid? Don't you have any faith yet? Of all the people, these are the ones that should have had faith at this point. And so Jesus pulls them deeper because that question is gonna provoke thinking. Why don't we have faith? What is he talking about? But look what they do. Mark is very candid with us. When Mark tells the story, he's the, he's the one who really kind of gives us the, uh, the side of the disciples that's not very flattering. And remember, Mark is getting his material from Peter. Right? And if you remember anything about Peter, Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times. Peter, the one who said before that, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. Not me, <laughs> maybe these guys, but not me. And then he went and he fell hard. Jesus, the one who, uh, Peter, the one who at, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus comes back to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, and feed, my, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love me. Tend to my flock. Peter, do you love me? Lord, yes, you know I love you the one that Jesus restored. See, Jesus can use us. Jesus can use people who, who maybe you, you've gone through some tough times and, and, and you didn't walk by faith, you walked by fear. And that doesn't disqualify you. It's an opportunity for God to grow you. It's an opportunity for God to, 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 to reveal to you that you tend toward fear more than faith. It's an opportunity for him to grow you. But Jesus looks at them and says, where's your faith? And here's their response. You, you would expect maybe they would say something, you know, along, well, oh, well, we just didn't know. I mean, who knows what they would have come up with? What would you have come up with? I don't know, right? Here's what they, Mark gives us in verse 41. They were overwhelmed by fear. Overwhelmed by fear. And they said to one another, 
Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. So uh, let me share a few psalms with you as we think about that question they just asked. Who is this? They're overwhelmed by fear and they say, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Psalm 107, verses 29 and 30. Speaking about God. He calmed the storm and the waves grew silent. The sailors rejoiced because the waves grew quiet and he led them to the harbor they desired. Let me read to you Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. O Lord, sovereign God, who is strong like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the proud sea. When its waves surge, you calm them. Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him? There's your answer. Even the wind and the sea obey him. This is God. Now the disciples' response is one of fear. Not faith. Even after Jesus calms the storm, they respond with fear, not faith. They were overwhelmed by fear, it says. And, and listen to me now. Fearing God is not the same as having faith in God. Being greatly afraid or, 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 or thinking God is just big and powerful is not the same as having faith in God. You can respect God. You can fear God. You can, you can acknowledge him as, as a super being, the only being, a supreme being. But if you don't have faith, that's not the appropriate response. Lots of people fear God. Lots of people think he's great. Lots of people acknowledge, yeah, there's a supreme being. That's not faith. That's fear. Now, when you have faith, there is room and necessity for a healthy fear of God. But what the disciples had here was not faith. Mark is very candid with this. They were overwhelmed by fear and they still don't get who he is. So you've heard me say several times uh, from the pulpit that these disciples, I don't think many of them became believers until after Jesus rose from the dead because I don't think they were getting it. Mark is very candid with us about it. They weren't getting it. Even after he calms the sea and the, and the wind, they say, who is this? That's not a question of faith because they, Mark told us they were fearful. Fear is not the same as faith. Faith is what God requires from us. It's what it requires from us when we come to him for the very first time for our salvation, and it's what he requires of us as we live it out. And that's important to keep in mind because for, for some of you this morning, uh, maybe you've got some fear when it comes to God. Following Jesus is a fearful thing for you. You've never signed on, you've never considered, or maybe you have considered it, but fear has kept you from moving forward. Fear about if I, if I decide to follow Jesus, if, if I decide to do what, you know, I've heard the preacher say or I've heard that, that person say, place my trust in Jesus. If I get saved, if I do that, my life's gonna change. I'm not sure I wanna give some of that up. What are my friends gonna think of me? What about my family? Will I be able to still enjoy some of the things I enjoy? What if I have to change my, my entire direction in life? That's a, that's a frightening thing. And then if I do that, then how do I provide for my family? I mean, these are fears that, that come along with following Christ. But God requires faith in following him. And I have to make the distinction and, and also say that faith doesn't stop just at that moment of belief. 
Because a lot of us, what we like to do is we, we come to Jesus by faith. Faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. I mean, we, we herald that, right? Nothing but grace, nothing but faith. You know, it's only in Christ, and then we live like we've earned it. We do, right? We, 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 we leave faith at that moment of salvation, that moment when we've decided, I'm placing my trust in Christ. Yes, God, I acknowledge that there is nothing I can do to earn salvation. It's a gift from you. I mean, this is what we've, we, we've been teaching our kids this week, that it's a gift you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, the salvation. It's not from you. You didn't earn it, but it's a gift from God so that no one can boast. I mean, we, we, we herald verses like that for salvation. But then we go and live like we earned it. Now we, now we live and we lay faith aside and instead of continuing to live and to grow by faith, we pick up that rule book again, we pick up that legalism again, we pick up those standards and we say, yeah, yeah, it's by faith alone, but now we've got to learn this and now we've got to do this and, and we start living like if we don't do those things, we're not gonna grow. We start living like if we don't do those things, that God's not gonna accept us or that in order for God to be pleased with us, we've got to do those things. And do you realize that God is not pleased with you by anything you ever do, ever will do? Nothing, nothing you do before you believe or after you believe will please God. Only being in Christ is how God is pleased. Because it is only as God, as God the Father looks at Christ his son, whose blood was shed for us at the cross, only when he looks at that is he able to look at people like you and I who are corrupted to our very nature, who are weak and in need. Only then can he look at us and say, I'm pleased. I'm satisfied. I accept you. I can bring you close. Because Hebrews tells us that it's by the blood of Christ that we can now enter the throne of grace with confidence. We don't enter that throne of grace because we've earned it only because of Christ. We tend towards fear, though. If I don't live a certain way, what will people think? If I don't, if I don't, and if I don't you know, follow that discipline, whatever that may be, and I'm, I'm intentionally being vague here because some of you need to apply this to certain areas of your life in different ways, and I, I, I want you to wrestle with that. What are those areas where you respond with fear instead of faith? As you seek to live out and follow Christ? What is it that you wrestle with if you've not placed your trust in Christ? What is it that you wrestle with that you say, but if I do that, here's what I'm afraid of? What is that? And for some of us, as you, as you continue to follow Christ, there's no promise and guarantee that it's gonna be calm seas, no smooth sailing. I mean, look, here you had, here you had people following Christ, abandoning their, their, their vocations, their life, and leaving their family behind, and they're following Christ, and they find themselves in this situation. Later, they're going to be persecuted for their beliefs. Following Christ does not come with calm, smooth sailing. There will be storms. And remember who Mark's writing to? He's writing to a church in the, in the, in the city of Rome, a church who is encountering, encountering persecution and pressure, and, and, and they're really being tested in what they believe and whether they'll follow Christ in the midst of that. Do you think as they're reading that, they're going, man, we're, we're in a storm and I don't, I don't want to make light of that because, you know, a lot of times preachers will come and say, what are the storms in your life? You know, and they'll completely miss the point of the passage. But did you know that in the early church, when they painted and when they had art, one of the images for the church was a boat on the sea? Do you think the people reading this are going, wow, we're really going through some tough stuff right now, just like those disciples were. 
And the question is being posed to us as Mark writes his gospel. And it's being posed to you and me. And we're looking in a mirror. Will you respond with fear? Or will you respond with faith? Fear or faith? Faith is what God requires. Faith is what God desires. Fear or faith? And so this morning wherever you are. That's the question I want you to probe. And if, and if you're one of those people who are saying, you know, I've never considered Christ. I've never, I've never considered, uh, or I have, but man, maybe something's different this morning. Maybe you're seeing something in a different way and, and something's making more sense to you. That's the question. Are you going to let that fear paralyze you or are you going to place your faith in Christ? That Jesus came, he lived a righteous life. You and I can't do that. He died as a righteous man and he did that in our place. Every single one of us, he did that in our place so that you would not have to incur the punishment, the wrath of God because of sin. And so now God's wrath is satisfied and all he requires is he says, get in my son. Trust him. Trust what I did through him for you and I will welcome you in. Some of you need to do that this morning. Others of you need to consider where fear is paralyzing you as you continue to follow Christ. So let me pray for us and ask God to reveal that to us. God, I, I thank you for passages like this that lend themselves so uh, readily to our situations where we can identify them uh, and where we are in them. And sometimes, God, we're, uh, we're not honest with ourselves. Sometimes we're like that, that chihuahua thinking we're a, we're a pit bull or we're like that fat cat thinking we're a lean, mean panther and we look in the mirror and we're just delusional. God, let us not be people like that this morning as, as we face ourselves at the mirror of your word. Help us to see us as we really are because we see you as you really are. And then, God, help us to make the appropriate response. For some of you, that's gonna be faith in Christ for the first time, belief, for others of you, that's going to be evaluating where you're paralyzed by fear, confessing that to God, and then walking by faith, trusting him. So God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Let your spirit work in each person's life and each person's heart. Convict where conviction is needed and lead us into truth where that's needed as well. And do it, God, for your glory and for our growth. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.